Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time in his word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings of this day, Lord, for our uh, time in worship together as we've read from your word, as we've heard, uh, we've prayed together, as we've heard testimony, as we've sung together, Lord, all of those things are purposed by you for our good, and we are blessed by them. And Lord, as we come to this time where we open your word to understand it, Lord, I pray that you would work through me, that I might speak the words that you would have me to say, that you would use those words to build up and to edify, that the, these, your people, might serve you in faithfulness. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, as we continue to look at uh, how we are to be disciples, how we are to make disciples. And we've been studying, or we started last week, studying on the patterns and examples that God has established for us as disciples. And so last week we saw that uh, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament serves as a witness and a warning to us. They witness the stories of the Old Testament, witness to God's faithfulness, to the fact that He never turned His back on Israel, that even though they were rebellious and and turned away from Him, He was faithful to, to them. Uh, and they serve as a warning that if you serve idols, if you turn away from God, then God will judge you. God will use uh, a time of exile to bring you back to Him. And so all of that is true of the nation of Israel. And we saw that they serve that pattern or that example to us as disciples. So this morning we're going to look at another pattern or example that we can follow. So if if, for, if, if the uh, Old Testament serves as a pattern for us, so too the New Testament serves as a pattern for us. And so today I want you to understand that a disciple is to imitate the pattern of the apostles in their walk and in their waiting. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3 verses 17 through 21 uh, and look at it on those two points, the walk of the apostles and the waiting of the apostles. So let's read together Philippians chapter 17 verses, I mean, chapter 3 verses 17 through 21 uh, as we consider those two points today. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, God's word says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So as we consider this passage today, first, we see that a disciple should imitate the walk of the apostles. So Paul begins this passage by calling the believers of Philippi to join in imitating me. This concept of imitation is a common idea for Paul. So the word he uses here for imitate is, uh, it means quite literally to mimic. 
So it is the idea of, of mimicking somebody's actions, mimicking somebody's uh, behavior. And my mind, when I think of mimicking, is drawn to the way a child mimics his parents, for, for better or for worse. Sometimes we mimic them in the way they, we, they speak or the way they act or the way that they carry out a task. And one of my favorite pictures, I have a favorite picture of all of my kids. You know, I, I can think of one that I love to look at when I'm uh, at work that I have of Eden when she was a little, all of mine seemed to be revolve around when they were tiny, you know, but uh, which none of my kids were actually ever tiny. But, uh, but uh, I think of Eden uh, as a little toddler. She, Leah got a picture of her in, in a, I think it was like a, 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 snow, uh, a, a polar bear outfit or something like that. And she's all white and her big cheeks are pudgy. And, and Micah, he's got one where he's in a, in a barrel, uh, uh, naked in the barrel. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and in harmony, there's one that we have of her where she's given a, a peace sign that I've got. And, and but there's one that I love of Logan that I notice quite regularly when I'm in uh, when I come into the house and it's on our refrigerator door. And he's two years old. And he's standing in our kitchen and he's got his chest puffed out and he's got a big smile on his face and he's bowed back like this and he's standing in my work boots. And his, the work boots come up to right about here on his thigh. And he is just as proud as he can be to be walking. And I remember that night when he was doing that and he barely could walk in them. You know, he's making all this racket plunking along in the, down the hallway uh, as he's walking in my boots. But he is so proud to be wearing his daddy's boots. And, uh, you know, you can probably imagine as, as, as I've told that story, you can imagine plenty of instances in which your children uh, wore your shoes around the house or picked up a hammer and started trying to work with you or picked up some pots and pans and started acting like they're cooking because they're imitating you. Uh, another one that I thought of as I was, uh, I was writing the sermon is my dad tells a story on me that when I was a toddler, I used to have this little doll that I would play with. And, and uh, one night, he caught me uh, putting that doll to bed. And uh, I put the doll to bed. I laid it in the, uh, uh, in the bed. And I so sweetly just covered it up. Says, patted it on the be belly and said, all right, now go to sleep. And he said, and I turned around and turned right back around and went, whop! And said, I told you to go to sleep. <laughs> I won't say who I was imitating at that point. But... But it wasn't my mama. <laughs> but much of child development happens just by imitating our, our parents. And in a similar way, the disciple is called to imitate the fathers of the faith. The apostles are our fathers of the faith. And they uh, saw the resurrected Christ. They lived in light of that resurrection and they established the church by the call of God. And so we're to imitate them. So how do we imitate the apostles? Well, Paul answers that by saying that you're to keep your eyes on those who walk after the example we have set. So it's interesting, and we'll talk more about this next week. But we follow the apostles by following those who walk 
after the apostles. We follow mature believers who set an example by following the example of the apostles. And so Paul contrasts the walk, uh, what that walk looks like by telling us the patterns that we should follow and the patterns that we shouldn't follow. So first, he says that we should walk after his example. So what is the walk that the apostles displayed? Consider four ways that the apostles call us to walk. First, the apostles call us to walk in light. Romans chapter 13 verse 13 says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. So we are to walk in a way that is good and holy, and we're to shun the things of darkness. We're not to play with them. We're not to flirt with them. We're not to pretend like they're okay. We are to shun those things that would lead us away from holiness and goodness in the Lord. We are to shun the darkness and turn to the light. Second, we are to walk by faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. So as a disciple... We trust that this world is not all that there is. Now, when Paul says that we walk by faith and not by sight, you know, the world says certain things about the way things really are. We can look at the world and we can see that death happens. We can see that decay happens. We can see that sin happens. And we can make the mistake of thinking this is all there is. This is the way life is and we should just live for the now. We should just live for our pleasures. We should just live for how things are in this world. But we know as believers we live by faith. And that means that we know that this world is not all that there is. There is a greater world that is coming. And we are waiting for that world with patience. And so we don't allow the cares of this world to pull us away. We don't allow the temptations of this world to pull us away. We stay focused and we walk towards our Lord as we live in faith. Third, we walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 6 verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So as a believer, we have been sealed with God's Holy Spirit. That means that we are empowered to live as he has called us to live. It's not just that we uh, have faith and we're not able to follow God even though we have faith. And it's not just that we're called to walk in the light even though we don't have the power to walk in the light. No, we are empowered by God's Holy Spirit to live in holiness. You see, we can't as Christians use the excuse, well, the devil made me do it. I hear Christians say that all day, all the time. The devil got on me and I just couldn't help it. Wrong. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you have Christ living in you, then you have the power by that Holy Spirit to resist the devil and to live faithfully for Christ. And so Paul calls us to walk in that power. And fourthly, we walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So because Christ loved us, we are to love others. 
We are to consider the needs of our brothers and sisters as more important even than our own needs. We are to love others as we love ourselves. We are to serve our spouse, to raise our children in the Lord. We are to work for others as though we are working for the Lord. We are to show the love of Christ as we serve other people. So those are the examples that we should follow. So what about the examples that we shouldn't follow? So Paul contrasts this walk of the apostles with the walk of false teachers in verses 18 and 19. And he warns us to be wary of those that set a bad example to follow. And he gives us some indications of who those bad examples are. So first, he says that we're to watch out for or to uh, avoid those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, this is an important phrase that helps us in marking out false teachers. A dead giveaway of a false teacher is whether his teaching magnifies or diminishes the cross of Christ. If he magnifies Jesus Christ, if he magnifies the sacrifice of Christ, if he magnifies the, the cross of Christ, then he is someone that you should listen to and follow. But if he diminishes it, if he denies that, the, that Christ's death on the cross is sufficient for your salvation, if he teaches that you have to add something to Jesus' death in order to be saved, or maybe he doesn't even talk about it at all, which is the, probably the most common Uh, situation that we have in our churches today, if he doesn't even talk about Christ's death on the cross from the pulpit, then you are to avoid him. You're not only not not to walk after him, but you're to run from him. Second, he says that for these false teachers, their God is their belly. So in other words, the word belly there literally means appetite. So, uh, most false teachers can be known by their actions. You know, sometimes false teachers will, will, are, are clever enough to learn the language of the church, to learn how people at church speak. And they're clever enough to, to be able to talk church talk. And so they can be deceiving in the fact that they, they talk all the Christian language and they talk the way we talk and, and, and they can deceive us in that way. But one of the things that is clear as day as to whether the person is a false teacher or not, is that a false teacher will be betrayed by his actions. So are they greedy for money? Is their speech often crude? Do they deal poorly with women, either by domineering over them or by objectifying them? Does scandal seem to always follow them? If their appetites, their desires... Their, their will matters more than their commitment to Christ, then we're to run from them. We're not to walk after them. We're to run from them. And finally, Paul says that a false teacher has his mind set on earthly things. Now, oh, so many of our church leaders today have hearts that are set on earthly things. They're worried about growth They're worried about programs. They're worried about new buildings or better technology or politics. And they can give give you a five-step plan in a heartbeat and they can roll out a mission statement without hesitation. But their heart is not set on the Lord. 
This is a large part of our problem in the American church today. We have left God out of our plans and our schemes. Instead of faithfully preaching the word and praying for God to move, we have decided that those things don't work anymore and we have to do God's work for him. Yet, if we want to see the power of God at work in our congregation and in our community and in our, in our country, we don't need a mission statement. We need the ministry of prayer and preaching. And so this brings me to my second point. A disciple imitates the apostles in their waiting. In verses 20 and 21, Paul shows us that we are to patiently wait like the apostles did for the return of Christ. And there are three points of hope that we find here as we wait. So first, Paul says that we hopefully wait because our citizenship is in heaven. You'll notice Paul does this neat little play on words where he's been talking about these false teachers. And he says that one of the evidences of the false teachers is that their end is destruction. In other words, they are fitted for hell. They are, their, their goal or their, where God has them going is to destruction and hell. But we aren't like those false teachers. We're not fitted for destruction. We're fitted for heaven. And so God says, uh, Paul says that our destination is heaven. And because we know that our citizenship is in heaven, that our destination is heaven, we can patiently wait for God to fulfill his promises. Second, we can wait because we know that Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorified body. Now, understand this is The essential hope of the Christian. This is the essential hope of the apostles. This is the essential hope of every believer that has gone before you. And this should be your essential hope in the gospel. Is that though we die, though our body will go into the ground, though we may languish in the ground for eons and our bodies return to the dust from which they were made, there will be a day when Christ will return and He will not forsake us. Instead, He will on that day call us forth from the, from the grave to be made new. And it does not matter how far flung our dust may be, God will call us forth to receive new bodies and we will reign with Him for all of eternity. Amen. So finally, Paul says that we can wait because... The one who will do this has all power and everything in heaven and on earth is subject to him. You see, Jesus has all authority and there is nothing that can prevent his purposes. So if you have just listened to what I just said about our dust being collected from all of uh, the earth to be made into new bodies and you say, preacher, that sounds crazy. How is it? That we that, that everything I look at in this world says that death is inevitable, that I will die and decay and nothing can stop that. How is it that you could believe that I could be gathered together and be made new in Christ when nothing in this world says that that's true? We believe that that is true because Jesus Christ has been given all authority. 
Jesus Christ, by His power, created this world. Jesus Christ, by His authority, led the nation of Israel out through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. And Jesus Christ, by His authority, rose again from the dead. And if Jesus Christ has that authority to raise from the dead, He has the authority to raise you from the dead too. And so it isn't crazy. It is completely consistent with a faith that is set on a risen Savior. So brothers and sisters, today we are called to follow the example of the apostles in our hope. We are called to walk after them in the pattern that they have given us in the New Testament. We're called to model our lives after mature believers who walk after the example of the apostles. We're called to avoid or to run away from those who contradict the example of the apostles. And we're to wait with hope for the return of Christ as the apostles did. So may we leave this place and walk in that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we find in the message of the apostles. Lord, that they were faithful, that they walked in the way of the Lord and that they waited on you to return. And Lord, may we be found faithful as well, walking and waiting. Father, I pray that we as a people would leave this place ready to serve you, ready to love as you have called us to, ready to walk in the light and to walk in hope and to walk in faith. Father, I pray that we would uh, be examples to others of that faith of the apostles as we live in our day and time and carry out your will here uh, in this time. Pray that you would bless us now in Christ's name. Amen.